Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you are doing. Lord God, open our, the eyes of our hearts to your truth, Lord. Prepare our hearts to receive the word of the Lord today that you have put in my heart and put in my mouth. Set a watch over my mouth, Lord, lest I sin against you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to talk today about the number 10 and what it represents in the Bible and uh, the 10th commandment. When the Lord uses the number 10, it is usually a test. Now, I did not put the scriptures that I'm going to tell you about in the notes, <clears throat> but I will reference them and you can read them at your leisure. So I'm going to show you what I mean when I say that the number 10 usually represents a test. So how many plagues did God bring down on Egypt? Go ahead, you can say it. 10. 10, that's right. <clears throat> Another way of asking this would be, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? This you'll find in Exodus chapter 7 through 11. <clears throat> what is the percentage of the tithe? There we go. Leviticus, you'll find that in Leviticus 27, 30. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you might not have done that. That might have been a more difficult one. That is in Numbers 14. How many times did Jacob's wages change? Yep, 10. You'll find that in Genesis 31, 8 through 13. It's Jacob complaining about how many times Laman uh, changed his wages. How many days were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah tested by the guard? How many days? Hmm. Hmm. That's a hard one. Ten. Ten. That's right. Daniel 1, 12 through 16. How many virgins with their lamps were tested in Matthew 25? Ten. Ten. That's right. How many days of testing for the church in Smyrna in Revelation? Ten. Ten. That's in chapter 2. So I'm bringing these to you because I'm wanting you to get the, the, the number concept. Numbers are... are the Jewish uh, language, the Hebrew, Hebrew language... <clears throat> Their, their numbers were also, I mean, their letters were also numbers. So anytime you have a letter, it has a numerical value. So their numbers and their letters were used, they, they meant this, you know, certain things. So every time you see, um, the, I, 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 one of these days I will go through and I will, I'll pick a bunch of uh, words in Hebrew and tell you what the numerical value means. And then I can... Uh, actually coincide, coincide it with um, other things. So you'll you'll see what the, that that the total value will be something, and it'll mean something, and then and then it'll all go in, go in together. So anyway, it's it's the language that God used with the Hebrews was important because and and He gave it to them because He was using it in this this mystical way this scriptural way that like it 
it all comes together and, it, and you look at it and you're like, whoa, that's just, that's a little deep. So I, one day I'll, I'll do that for you, but um, today's not that day. Um, how many days, oh, say, I'm sorry. So how many commandments are there? Ten. Ten. That's right. So there, this is a way that God tests us is through the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> I mean, there's other tests that are not in the Ten Commandments, but these, the, the tithe is, of course, a test. Um, and, but the Ten Commandments is one of, one of, the, one of the big tests, right? Um, and that, the ten, ten Commandments you'll find in Exodus 20. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, Exodus 20, 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, to covet means to desire, to delight. Coveting is a heart issue. It is a selfish desire, and it, according to the Bible and according to God, it is sin. It is complex, it is complicated, and most often it is well-conceived, concealed, sorry, well-concealed. People don't want to, you to know that they are coveting. So what does coveting look like? I'll give you an example. If God ever gives you something and then he tells you to give it away and you can't give it away, you don't own it. It owns you. That's what coveting is. Most people, you know, often think of coveting as only monetary um, or, or things of value. It's, it's usually that's the way we think about it. But we can covet people also. And, and these things that we covet and these people that we covet <clears throat> we, we have a tendency to lift them up. Have you ever heard the expression, they lifted them up on his pedestal? They're, they were coveting them. That person had become an idol. Um, when we do this, we make these things an idol because coveting hinders generosity. And because coveting hinders generosity and causes greed... As a matter of fact, the, the word, the Greek word for covet is often translated into English as greed. The Tenth Commandment is a test of our hearts. We are commanded to love God and love our neighbor. But we are also called to not love our neighbor's things. So who was our neighbor? When Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's basically saying everyone is your neighbor. Everyone that's close to you is your neighbor. Even those you may consider your enemies or your competition. Something I hear all the time is... Ooh, I want one of those. I've said that very phrase myself. 
I have qualified that statement by saying things like, I don't want theirs, I want my own. But isn't that the same thing? Just because we went through the industrial age and things are mass marketed, does it mean that we aren't coveting other people's stuff? I remember the run in the 1980s over the Cabbage Patch dolls. The run of the Apple Store for the newest iPhone, the GameStop, every time a new version of the Xbox, the Nintendo, or the PlayStation came out. I remember people camping out for days for some of that stuff. These are just a few of the things that everyone runs out and buys. And desires are not wrong. Don't get me, don't, don't, don't get me, you know, don't confuse what I'm saying. Desires are not wrong. In fact, our desires come from God. But when a desire is uncontrolled, it becomes coveting. When we desire something that is not ours, that's evil. But a desire is not necessarily evil or a negative or a bad thing. Nothing can be accomplished unless we desire to do it. We can't become more like Christ without desiring to become more like Christ. For instance, we can't be a more loving person without desiring to be a more loving person. We can't be a more generous person without desiring to be a more generous person. Desire is not bad until it is uncontrolled. And we think we've got to have more and more and more. The root of that kind of desire is in comparing ourselves to others. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So 2 Corinthians 10, 10 12, there, these people in Corinth, in Corinth were comparing themselves to each other. And they weren't supposed to be. They lacked understanding about what they were supposed to be doing. Do you know what will always turn into coveting? Comparison. Comparison always turns into coveting. It, it, if you continue to compare unchecked, it will be coveting. Americans have a problem with comparison. We are constantly being bombarded with the latest, greatest doodad and whatnot on TV, magazines, social media, the internet, everywhere you look. There's some advertiser that wants to sell you something. We can't even go to the grocery store without being manipulated by some marketing strategy. And I bet, like you, I was like, eh, not me. This isn't really about me. I'm not a coveter. I don't covet. Okay. I'm going to prove to you that that's... Not true. You, 
we're comparing. We're constantly in comparison. Because I want you to think about this. What's the first thing you do when you walk into somebody else's house? Oh, I like that floor. Hey, you remember the commercial that came that came out recently with the floor? It was the flooring company. There's a commercial about coveting somebody else's floor. They were doing floor angels on the floor. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. When I, and I remember seeing that and thinking that this is what the Lord popped into my brain was that commercial when I was writing this. But we go into other people's houses and we were like, oh, look at their flooring. Isn't that nice? Or look at the kitchen cabinetry. Wow, what a television. Do you see how big that television was? You're in the car comparing what they, what they had to you. Or how about you, you men? So I'm going to pick on you for a minute. Whenever you go to your buddy's house and you guys all end up, all, it seems like you guys always end up in the garage and you're talking about the newest, greatest, shiny toy that you got to play with in the yard. We walk past somebody. Think about this. You're walking past somebody. Maybe you're at Walmart, you know, grocery store, whatever. And you're like, oh, I love that outfit. Or, oh, I love those shoes. Then you look down at yourself and you start feeling frumpy. We're constantly comparing. And if we continue to do it, we will be frustrated. We will be full of frustration. We will be looking down on ourselves and on what we have and what God has provided. And we're not supposed to do that. So what can we do to fix it? We have to learn contentment. We've got to stop comparing our lives to everyone else's and learn to be content with what God has provided and where he is leading us and what he has for us because our destiny is rooted in him and him alone and not in other things. Not in what other people's things are, not, not what we can acquire, not what the clothes on, on our body look like, not what our hair looks like, not what our car looks like or our house looks like or how much is in our bank account. God will provide these things. We also must learn to admire other people's things without having to acquire other people's things. We need to learn to rejoice in other people's prosperity. When you see somebody, maybe your competition, maybe somebody else who's up for the same job as you, maybe uh, a business associate or another business that you are in, and you see all the prosperity that they are having, we have to learn to rejoice in other people's prosperity without getting jealous and envious and feel like we have to have what they have. The only comparison we should be doing is comparing what God has said about us to what we are actually doing in our lives. What are we doing to line up with what God says and who God says we are? What God says we are to have and who God says we are. Are we living to Jesus' standards or are we, 
And are we living up to who he says we are? The Lord will never, ever prosper someone who is comparing or coveting what others have. Because we just read about covetousness being a sin. He's not going to prosper you in something if you are sinning over that same thing. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 6.10, and you can look at it in your Bible. But I'm going to, the one I'm going to read to you is direct English translation from the interlinear Bible from the Greek. So 1 Corinthians 6.10 says, Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So a lot of these things, you know, you're, you're like, yeah, that's pretty bad, but covetous is in there also. Now, in the ESV, it doesn't say covetous. It says greedy. But like I said before, covetous in the Greek, also a lot of people translated it as greedy in the English. And one that I was actually um, taken aback by nor revilers. So I didn't realize, I don't know if I just didn't realize the definition of revilers, but um, maybe I hadn't come apart, come on it enough to think about it as a verbal abuser. I just wanted to put that out there because I thought that was, I, when I read that, I was like, huh. <clears throat> so we can't have a contented life until we learn not to compare. And if you look in Ecclesiastes 6.9, I'm going to paraphrase the second half of that. So, I should have looked it up because there's a first part. I only put down the last part. So, there's actually two parts too. There's a, a, a sentence that ends in there. But the second half of that, basically Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, it is better to be satisfied with what we have than to always to be always wanting something else. So we're going to close in prayer after the final song. And while we're doing the final song, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message today? What do you need me to work on? What am, what am I comparing or coveting? in my life that you want me to work on. Let's do the final prayer and then we're gonna dismiss for the day. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the few captives that were freed this past week. Lord, we ask that you free them all, or at the very least, Lord, let the IDF find them safe, and bring them home back to their families. Lord, we pray for your protection over the IDF, over Israel, and over the innocent. Be with us, Lord, this week. Help us to learn to guard our hearts and remember the things that you teach us. Lord, tattoo your words, Lord, onto our hearts and prosper 
this ecclesia and expand our territories, Lord, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.